Hello there patrons, welcome to For What It's Worth. Uh, this wasn't exactly planned when we recorded the episode originally with Andrew, but we hope that you enjoy it. I did a rough edit, took out some uh, background noises, some of our mouth noises, a few gaffes that we really didn't want anyone to hear, and gave you the rest of the raw episode. I uh, made some notes of things that I plan to cut out, and probably the final episode will be closer to an hour in length, so you're getting an extended version. So we hope you enjoy it, and let us know if this is something you'd like to see in the future. Here's the episode. You were going to start with the your uh, intro thing, right? Yeah, we'll get into that. Don't worry, it's coming. I've got it all under control. Great. Okay. I think the only other thing I need then is, do we know for sure what we're going to to go for the for what it's worth? Because I usually say, or so far I've said what we're going to talk about in mm. the in the main episode. I thought we said it on we were going to talk about God's will or something. Okay. Which <laughs> I'm not prepared at all for that. We well, can. That's actually fine. For what it's worth, is supposed to be more informal. It's actually fine if it's just a total, you know, a total disaster. Well, preferably <laughs> not that. If it's a total disaster. We'll just record something later and not put yours in. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a great plan. No, I, I have, I have a for what it's worth. I can't wait to release. I don't know. It, <laughs> He's excited about it. Yeah. But okay. the, the thing is, it makes me sad is because it's something I think that a lot of people would find interesting. Kind of like what I said, if you put it up behind a paywall. And no one will hear it. N- almost nobody will hear it. Yeah. So maybe that should actually be our uh, intro sometime. Yeah, good idea. Or we talk. Or we could, uh, what we could do, we could make that as a, uh, like some people will occasionally take their patron only content and let other people listen to it as kind of like a teaser and if we think it's good enough maybe we can yeah what are you recording this james yes <laughs> i will say there's all kinds of things in here that you could be using <laughs> <clears throat> do you know how you're going to say goodbye when we get to the end of our episode <laughs> he says uh, james says uh, see you later and you say ciao I say, all right, see you later. Did you notice one of our podcasts we switched? Yeah. LaShonda's <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, I noticed that right away. Yeah, I did too. <clears throat> I don't know. I just say adios or something. There you go. Hasta la vista. <laughs> okay, tell me again, James. How do I snap my screen to the left? Control, option, left arrow key. Control, option, left arrow key. That didn't work. Oh, I hit the wrong button. Okay, that works. Yeah, not command option, control option. You need to hide your thing. Yeah, all of the magnet, all of the magnet keyboard shortcuts are control option. For what control option? For what that's worth. Well, I'll probably forget it as soon as I leave here. Uh, (laughs) By the time we're done here, we're probably it's probably be 110 degrees when we baking. (laughs) I will probably be at a nice, comfortable temperature. (laughs) Okay. Okay, let me just pull up this, and then I think I'm ready to go. That's the wrong one. This is the right one. What are you pulling up? Oh. Uh, what what length Control are we aiming for? Option. Roughly an hour of recording time. That's kind of what we've been aiming for lately. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
You haven't been putting in like our little intros lately where it's like us saying some random thing and then it goes into the Yeah, well, maybe we'll have <clears throat> maybe we'll have some of that this time. <laughs> maybe we'll have some content. more 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 content to choose from, yeah. Um do you all have your things muted? Things muted like on machines. Do not, do not disturb. Well, I should actually put it on not just do not disturb, but put turn I'll turn the sound off. Yeah, just turn the sound off. My phone is on vibrate, but I should probably just put it on do not disturb. Put on do not disturb. All right, I think I'm ready. Movie we'll in. All right, let us go. <clears throat> Hello there, and welcome to Looking Over Life. We are still recording in person in James's basement. We're trying to get as many episodes recorded in these last few days before I head back to Peru. But this time, we have a guest with us. Actually, a returning guest. Welcome back to the podcast, Andrew. Thanks. Before we get going on today's topic, I'm going to ask James to get us get us rolling by telling us something interesting. What have you got for us today, James? As someone who really likes science, it sometimes annoys me all of the misconceptions people have about the natural world. <laughs> okay. And so I'm going to ask you uh, a common misconception. Sean, what causes the seasons? Uh, Jack Frost causes <laughs> winter. <laughs> <laughs> um, the earth is tilted on its axis, and so as it revolves around the sun, <clears throat> the sun's rays hit it at sometimes obliquely in certain places and sometimes more directly, and then that creates seasons of hot and cold. Is that right, James? Yes, that's right. Maybe you should start doing this segment instead of me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. Um, One of the common misconceptions is that the seasons are caused by the the Earth getting closer to or farther away from the sun. People think, well, when it's summer, you're closer to the sun. But if you think a little bit about that, so for instance, whenever we're having our gardens up here in the Northern Hemisphere, it's winter down there Mm -hmm. or the dry season. Y'all don't have quite the same winter we do. Right. And then when you all are planting your gardens, things are dying up here <laughs> and we're preparing for winter. So a little bit of thinking realizes that's not the case. Another misconception is moon phases. What causes the phases of the moon? Well, but you, you can you explain or are you going to open up on what that how, how does that happen? You said sometimes it's warm and sometimes it's not. So if mm-hmm. it's not if we're not close to the sun, what's going on? Mm hmm. Well, it's exactly what Andrew said. That's what I already said, John. <laughs> but it was pretty oblique to me. But, yeah. okay, so in the summer, then the top of the Earth, okay, so in the Northern Hemisphere is having summer, the top of the Earth is like touching the sun. Yeah. And the bottom of the Earth is touching whatever makes ice. <laughs> and then it flips around when yeah. it's wintertime. Something like that. Like, who switches the, who, who no. switches the axis? It stays the same direction all the time. It's just on one side of the sun, it's pointing toward, and it's, it, it keeps that direction. And so it goes on the other side, and now it's pointing away. Okay, but you're, you said on one side of the sun, it's pointing one way, and one other side of the sun, it's pointing the other. No, it's pointing but the same it's direction. The same way on both it's sides. just the but, sun rays are different depending on... But the sun goes around the earth. Like, we see it go from east to west. <laughs> now you're just being <laughs> obtuse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moon phase. What, do you, what were you asking? That's another misconception <laughs> we're not going to address. Um, 
So moon phases, what causes them? Uh, moon phases are caused by hmm when the Earth depends when the Earth is getting in the way of the sun's rays hitting the moon. So you're saying it's the shadow of the Earth. That is the dark part, yeah. So no, that's called an eclipse. Yeah, that's called an eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we have eclipses once a month, and that's why we have new moon. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, <laughs> the the um, the moon travels around just like the Earth goes around the sun. Mm-hmm. The moon goes around the Earth about once a month. And that's why we call it a moonth. Okay. Um, And the same side of the, let me back up a little bit. Um, Sometimes the moon is between the earth and the sun. Mm -hmm. And so we are seeing the backside. Well, it's not the backside. Backside relative to the sun. So we're seeing the side that is in shadow. That's during new moon. Mm -hmm. Then on full moon, now... The moon is on the opposite side of the earth from the sun. And so we are seeing the side of the moon that is fully lit up, mm-hmm. which if you think about it, have you ever noticed that whenever the moon comes up and it's this big, gorgeous moon, mm-hmm. you have this beautiful full moon. It almost always happens right at sunset or just after sunset. And that's because the sun is going down in the west right when the moon is coming up in the east because we are right in the middle. Mm-hmm. That's a full moon. And then when when the moon is about 90 degrees from the earth, or from the sun, I should say, when the angle between the moon, the earth, and the sun would form a 90 degree angle, then you have what's called a quarter moon. Although it's somewhat confusing because you only see like half of the moon, mm-hmm. but it's called a quarter moon because it's a quarter of the way around. Oh, So there's like okay. a first quarter moon, and then there's the... Full moon, which is would be like the second quarter moon, mm-hmm. and then the third quarter moon, and then you have the new moon. Mm-hmm. So that's what causes the phases. It's not the shadow of the earth falling. Because if you think about it, if it's the middle of the day, you look up and you see the moon. Mm-hmm. It's fairly common to do that. And the sun is all the way over here, mm-hmm. but yet the moon is partially dark. There's no way the earth could possibly be casting a shadow on the moon if you sit there and think about it so these are one of those misconceptions and and i wouldn't feel too stupid if i were you because because i think there's a lot of these misconceptions people just don't think about mm-hmm. and that's fine it's people yeah uh, some some smart aleck comes along and asks them well, what causes the phases of the moon and they're like well I don't know. Part of it's dark and things cast shadows. So, oh, it's the earth casting a shadow on the moon. Mm-hmm. But if you ha- if you would take them outside in the middle of the day when half the moon is lit up and the other half is dark, they could probably use some common sense and figure out that's not the case. But Common sense is in short supply. <laughs> but you we said might talk something- about that some other time. <laughs> <laughs> you said something about when it's... When it's new moon, when it's all dark, then we're mm-hmm. seeing the backside of the moon. Mm. But, uh, but that's not isn't, true. It, it's not quite true because you always see the same side of the the same face of the moon always okay. points toward the earth. So maybe you'll have to tell us why that is some other time when we get an episode and when we start an episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because it's tidally locked. <laughs> okay. It means that it does one revolution 
and one rotation in the same amount of time as yeah. it goes around the Earth. So it's, the same- it's the same as as walking around a tree and the entire time you face toward the trunk of the tree. No one does that. <laughs> well, but assume that you did. You walk around and by the time you have walked completely around the tree, if you're facing the trunk the whole time, you've also done one rotation. Mm-hmm. I think I heard it explained another way. Like if you would tie a rope around the waist of your little sister and then spin her around you at a high a high rate of speed, she would always be facing you and screaming at you. And that would be, <laughs> she would be tidally locked to you. Yeah. <laughs> Great example. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We want to thank our new patrons. Your, your sharing with us makes it possible for us to put it more into this podcast. For example, just this week, we paid some money to set up a few things to get our website up and running. You can now find us at lookingoverlife.com. Currently, the only thing there is a list of all of our episodes, but we'll be adding things in the future as we need to. As a thank you for becoming a patron, we have an extra podcast, for what it's worth, in a separate feed for you. For what it's worth will be a short episode we will release in between each of the main episodes. It will be about a topic we think might not fit in the lineup or be a full episode of conversation, but they are still fun podcasts. We now have three episodes up for our patrons. Our last one was about the Coriolis effect, which is what makes water go clockwise above the equator and clockwise south of the... I mean, it's what makes water go counterclockwise north of the equator and counterclockwise south. <laughs> Anyhow, however it is, you need to listen to it and you'll get it right in the <laughs> podcast. James explains it. <laughs> so if you'd like to hear that and other episodes of For What It's Worth in the future, run on over to our Patreon page. There should be a link in the show notes. Okay, James, this episode, we are wanting to talk about leadership. So why, when when we had this idea, what was it that made you want to talk about it? Yeah. Well, when I first came up with the idea of this episode, I was, we were actually up at Andrew's house. We spent the evening up there with Andrew's and, and Sean's, and we were standing outside talking about we should have Andrew on again, and we were trying to drum up some random <laughs> topic that we felt like we could we could drag him on the podcast. And I thought of the topic of leadership, and the reason is is because leadership is something that's been on my mind lately. I have a family to lead, a mm-hmm. wife and children, and both Sean and Andrew do as well. And we also have varying levels of leadership in our jobs and church. And so I, it's it's something that we all, I know, we all want to do better at. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it would be fun to discuss it with some other people who are kind of in the same same season of life as I am. I thought uh, Andrew might be a good one to, to pick because, in a sense, he's kind of my boss. <laughs> <laughs> I never brought you. So you, I can, thought, you thought you were his boss. Yeah, right. So I can come on and talk about how difficult it is to handle James at work. <laughs> All right. So maybe I was thinking if it's too simple of a question to ask what a leader is, I'm looking across the table and seeing that Andrew has this whole pile of books about leadership. So maybe I'll put the first question to you. You can either answer that question or you can get us going in thinking about why do we even need leaders? 
Yeah. So answering the question, what a leader is, maybe we'll get into that a, a little bit more. I'm not going to try to answer that quite yet. Or uh, we'll be talking about some of the qualities of leaders and and so on. But why do we need leaders? It's, um, you know, some people say, well, can't we just have a team and we'll just all get together and do our thing and we'll all be, we'll all just be workers and it'll, it'll just be great. But I have noticed in real life that it doesn't really work. Um, always, there's always, if we try to take that approach, it, the uh, situation doesn't work out very well. We're confused. We, we don't make any forward progress. And typically what will happen is somebody will just step in and say, here's what we need to do and start organizing or whatever. You could think about um, why did God assign Moses to the children of Israel? Or Joshua? Why did he raise up judges and kings? Now, why did Jesus train apostles and why did they ordain elders? Yeah, it's a fallacy. I think it's a fallacy to think that we don't need leaders. And I think it's also an excuse. Uh, it can be an excuse for ourselves because we're not doing our job or we don't want to do it. And so we just kind of excuse away. Uh, well, we don't really need to. Maybe we're know. not. Or, yeah, maybe we're not quite willing to take the responsibility of being a leader could be because i mean you have to make hard decisions right sometimes. i've been in that situation many times i'd rather just somebody else do it take care <laughs> of it. i'd rather just you know stay in the background somebody else can deal with the problems yeah so, uh you were talking about the judges and when when i was thinking about this topic earlier preparing notes for this episode i thought about it, it's a number of times in judges it, it mentions um that it was a time where every man did what was right in his own eyes. Yep. Right. <laughs> and so it's very much of a kind of an individualistic, each person kind of did what they thought was best. Mm-hmm. And we all know how that worked out. Continually, they fell away from God. Uh, God led them to judgment from uh, some of the, uh, uh, the surrounding nations. And then he had to raise up a leader to then kind of get them back on the right path. And they were fine for a while. And then the judge passed off the scene and then they went downhill again yeah for example Gideon that's what that's what God raised up Gideon to do um, everybody was doing what they thought was right and they were the nation was far from God and God raised up Gideon or you could look at Samson and you say well that guy was a terrible leader but <laughs> um, he still God called him and it was very obviously that God called him and he and God used him in that way. Even if he wasn't perfect, uh, he still made a difference. Yeah, there, there are quite a few examples of leaders in the Bible, both good and bad. <laughs> um, there's still leaders today, both good and bad. And so I guess uh, eventually we'll be talking about some of the things we can do to not be bad leaders. You were saying, <clears throat> you were saying Andrew, that if we try this experiment where we're just a team everyone's equal, but some are more equal than others, that almost, were you were you meaning like almost automatically that someone will become the de facto leader even in that sort of equality for all teamwork? Yeah, there will, there will be someone, and this is one way you can define a leader is just saying a leader is someone who influences other people. And so there will be someone who will end up in that position of influence. And people will just kind of tend to do what he or she says. That's and, something that I experienced a little bit in college. 
we had to do these group projects, which were horrible, <laughs> usually because the other people in the group tended to not do very much. And and not not all the group projects I was involved in, but probably more than half, I ended up having to kind of step in and get things going because nobody was doing anything and everybody was waiting on the next person. Well, also, I was I was a couple years older than most of the other students that were there. And I was <laughs> I was just ready to get something done. And yeah, um, I think that was fairly influential in my I don't know if you would say leadership development, but I was in a sense forced, you know, because I wanted to get a good grade. I was forced to have to step in because nobody else was. You cared, and so then that made you a leader. Is that, is that, is that what you did? <laughs> well? I wanted a good grade, so uh, it's a little selfish, maybe. So we have one end of the spectrum is that push for like we're all equal, and that's somewhat of a popular idea in lots of ways in our society today. Everyone's equal, and so we don't need leaders. We don't need government. It's kind of this push toward anarchy. But it doesn't work. Um, it seems like people always will have a leader. Even the anarchy group has a leader that's <laughs> leading them. So I was curious, what percentage do we know or can we know what percentage of people need to be leaders? Like if you have five people, will one of them be a leader? And if you have 10, then you have to have two and that sort of thing. Do you have any experience with that? You lead larger groups, Andrew, than either James or I do. Yeah, well, I'm sure you have an opinion about that yourself, <laughs> but um, it depends. It depends how you're defining it. When I saw, you know, your question that was in the notes about what percentage of people are or should be leaders, like I want to say everybody should be to some degree, right? Okay, so you're saying we're not a team. Everyone's a leader. So no, we're I'm gonna saying be equal that, one I'm way or the other. I'm saying that everyone has their own sphere of influence. For example, <laughs> okay. I lead my family but within my family. Um, my wife leads when I'm not there and then, um, various of my children will lead in different ways. Like I can delegate, uh, to them or depending on the situation, um, my oldest son may be in charge or he becomes the de facto leader if Loretta or I are not present. And so whenever you're in a situation where other people are looking to you for influence or direction, then you're a leader, and that applies to almost everyone at some point. Mm -hmm. And so, but now if we're talking about in the church, how many, what percentage of the people need to be leaders? Well, I mean, there's only a few that, that are called to the ministry. Or at work, there's, like, we can't have all chiefs and no Indians. We can't have all <laughs> Indians and no chiefs. So I don't, I don't, I'm not going to give a percentage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that thing of that everybody has to be a leader to some extent because I'm I'm a leader in certain projects, but then I like to be able to delegate to others and let them maybe take care of of working with somebody else who needs some some leadership, some input. If everybody would come to me for input, I would never get anything else done. And then yeah, when it comes to family, that very much is is how it works. You have the husband and the wife both have to serve as leaders at different times. And so if you uh, <clears throat> if if you take the approach that one that I'm the leader, everyone else is a follower, you end up with a dictatorship. Mm. But that's not what we want either. And so at work, like where I work, um 
have various supervisors and managers that I work with. And even sometimes people will bring me a question and I'll say, that's not even mine to deal with. Like you should be talking to your supervisor about that. Or, or if the supervisor comes to me and I think that he should just take care of it, you know, I'll talk to him about it and then he can just take care of it because I don't want to be a dictator. Mm-hmm. One thing you said, you were talking about, there's only just a few people called to the ministry and that is the case. I mean, most congregations have maybe three or four men. You might have a bishop, a couple pastors, a deacon or two. And that's usually about it. But you have people that are, you might have uh, you might have Sunday school superintendents and somebody's on this committee or that committee. And in a sense, you could get to where almost the majority of the people in the church have some form of leadership that they have to do. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. Everybody has a certain sphere of influence that they're responsible for. Thinking about different applications needing maybe different amounts of leadership. You know, in school, you only need one teacher for a schoolroom of children, that sort of thing. But I was remembering a book that I read by Dr. Kevin Lehman, who became pretty popular for his studies into birth order. And I think in his research, he said that when you have children, particularly in a, a family, say a biological lineup of children, he found that the max number of children that you could have without a leader personality uh, like rising up was four, three or four. So if you have a large family, like eight children or 12 children, you'll start seeing little groups, maybe three, and this this son leads those three. And the next four are kind of led by this older sister. And the bottom three are led by some younger brother, that sort of thing. And I noticed that in teaching school on the playground, that that was often the case where you had groups of three or groups of four, and then they had their own pecking orders among them. But I think the reason I asked this question was a little bit what I think you're getting at, Andrew, is is there a, is there a direct or distinct, maybe, dichotomy between leaders and peons? <laughs> <laughs> Or is it a bit more, I don't even know what the word is, where I think you were alluding to that, or I think you were implying that a little bit, that, yeah, you're, if you look at an org chart, you're somewhere, you know, maybe at the top or at the bottom, depending how you set up your org chart. But (laughs) in a sense, you answer to other people within that org chart. And so who's leading whom in that sort of... uh, either a corporation, organization, or a, a body set up. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So a dictator will <clears throat> a dictator will just assume that he is the leader and no one else has that right or no one else has any input that is worthwhile to give and so he just does everything. But I'm trying to th- put this into words here, but like it's a partnership. Like just because someone is my direct report doesn't mean that we don't work together or whatever. Like we sit down and have a conversation and we, they give their opinions and we talk together and we come to a conclusion. And it may be depending on what the matter on, on what the subject is. Like I may have the final say, but we don't arrive at the final say just by me spelling out exactly what needs to happen. It's a, it's a working together and no, nobody has all the answers. So that's the way it has to be if it's going to work well. 
So leadership, <clears throat> leadership and teamwork are not exclusionary ideas. Definitely not. No, certainly not. James, did I interrupt you a little bit ago? Uh, I think you did, but I can't remember what it was. Okay. All right, Andrew. So you're you're giving this idea about dictators, which are people that we you're saying we don't want to be as leaders. The the leader uh, needs to work with his team. You said. So he does have more responsibility. Does that mean, like, shouldn't he be out there on the front lines, leading the charge, um, getting his hands dirty, doing doing the work? Is that what makes a leader then? <laughs> um, It can be. So when I'm at home working with my family, if I'm sitting in the Lazy Boy, um, which can be a temptation sometimes in telling my children do this and do that and go out in the yard and do the other thing, but I'm not there with them and showing them how to do it and or sh- like showing them actually the steps in the process, of how to do it. And also showing them that I'm willing to do it with them. Then I'm not leading. Well, I'm just giving orders. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, a leader's job isn't always to we'll go back to, to the definition, which we need to, we need to get, we need to broaden our definition at some point here, but (laughs) to, to use the simple definition of influencing people, you can influence people and you can lead, um, without getting down or getting up or whatever, going without being right beside them all the time and doing the same thing that they are. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it's not necessary. Yeah. One thing that that I think of when I think of leaders and their, their role is almost like, um, almost like a general sending their troops into battle, (laughs) um, where they, they're not necessarily putting themselves on the front lines. They have kind of the bigger picture in mind. Um, and they're directing things. They can see, they can see what needs to happen maybe better than somebody who is is right there in the action. They have a, a bit more of a dispassionate view of things. And so they can give more objective direction. But at the same time, it's the generals or the leaders that are most loved that, that do associate with the people that they're leading. They're not just, they're not really distant. They're in there. It's not like they're... Uh, they, <laughs> Yeah, to continue the military uh, metaphor, you know, they're out there. They they visit the troops on the front line to get their boots dirty. They're not just back in the back, um, typical on champagne in there. <laughs> that's that's kind of how I see it. It's kind of a picture that helps me. Well, thinking about the family example, so <clears throat> I talked about I shouldn't be sitting in my armchair all the time telling my children what to do. But on the other hand, like if I if I would try to abdicate my leadership responsibility and let's say give one of my twins say you're the leader of the family for today, he doesn't have the he does not have he's seeing a tiny slice of the world through his own eyes, mm-hmm. and and he doesn't have the experience, um, just the life experience or the wisdom to be able to look at a bigger picture, mm-hmm. and so he he needs his mom and dad. To say, here's what we're doing as a family. Here's the values that are important, and then this is what drives how we how we live. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think the same is true in organizations too. Is that you know when I when I was a teenager working in uh, 
one little spot of the organization. Like I had opinions about things, but I didn't have any breadth of experience or, and I was not seeing anywhere close to the whole picture, not saying I do now, but I would not have been able to lead from that position just because I can't, I can't see all the things that a leader needs to be able to see to, to help the organization. And so to say that, well, we don't need leaders. We should all just be down on the front lines um, doing the work. That's the organization will will crash fairly soon if if that's the approach that is taken. One of the questions I wanted to ask you all, I don't know if this is the best place to ask it or not, was when you hear someone say leadership or a leader, do you have a picture in your mind of what that is? The James, you use the metaphor of a, a general and an army. Is that where your mind often goes when you think of leadership, or was that just when you pulled up? on the spur of the moment uh that was something that i pulled up as far as the relationship between a leader and the troops mm-hmm. or the the people that he's leading as far as he's got a bigger picture he's not necessarily on the front lines but he knows what's going on mm-hmm. so what do you think of when you think of a leader like do you or maybe you don't think in pictures the same way that i do <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that i do <laughs> i think more in abstractions i guess <laughs> is, there, is there an abstraction associated with leadership <laughs> Andrew, do you have one? Well, I tend to think <clears throat> I'm, I'm a leader in an organization, and so that I tend to think about things organizationally, but also the church too, church leaders, organizational leaders. They're people that um, have a vision for the future about where the church or the organization should go, and they're people who they care about people and they um, work on solving problems, and they're just there to to serve. And I guess uh, in my mind, a leader, leadership is tied a lot to the future. A leader thinks a lot about the future Mm. or he should, because that's where we're going. I mean, minute by minute, we are going into the future. And if no one's thinking about where we're going and how Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, we're going to end up in a disaster. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. I often think of, a shepherd when I think of leadership. Mm-hmm. But when yeah. I was younger, I used to often think of a king. And so I don't know. And when in thinking about preparing for this episode, I, that just came to mind that there's been that shift in, in my thinking. And I suppose that has come just with life experience. But yeah, when I was younger, maybe a teenager, when I thought about leadership, I thought about the king, you know, he gives mandates and he just tells the kingdom what to do, and it happens, and that's leadership. But now I think more of a shepherd, and having having been as somewhat of a shepherd or a goat herd, I suppose, in Peru, that is less romantic than it used to be. Um, for like when you think of a shepherd, that it's just you know that he's floating about with his sheep, going wherever they're supposed to go, and that's not the way a shepherd or a goat herd leads. Um, but you do have to know your animals as then this analogy is breaking down quickly you have to know your animals in a, in a different sort of way than at least i think of a king so do you have to occasionally hit your goats with sticks to make them go in the right direction <laughs> I, we don't know if Peter is listening to this podcast. <laughs> well the shepherd metaphor is a yeah it's a very biblical one and it has a it has the connotation of caring mm-hmm. that i think is a key piece of leadership Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like what you said about 
leaders see the future because as I've gotten older and now I have young children, I very much think about the future. And also at work, when I had just started working there, I was very focused on the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks. And as I've kind of backed up and started looking at projects differently, more in a leadership role, I have started thinking much more about the future. Like what's happening in three years, mm, yeah, <laughs> not what's happening right. in three days or three weeks. And mm-hmm. I, five years ago, I would not have been thinking that way. Mm-hmm. Now, James, you said in college that you often became the de facto leader in your in your group projects. Mm-hmm. That made me wonder, are some people more apt to be leaders or is it the circumstances that cause leaders to happen maybe there's some of both but i want to hear from from you two what what do you think maybe james i'll ask you first since this is specifically about your college experience i've told people before that which i can't remember exactly how i was when i was in high school (laughs) but i did actually become a foreman on the roofing crew And I'm not sure if that was because of my leadership abilities or just because I was more experienced than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Those are not necessarily the same things. Right. But then I started going to college and yeah, I had to, I had to, I had public speaking. I had to give speeches. So that's something that leaders do some Mm -hmm. having to get up and up in front of people. And then I had to take leadership in class projects. And then I started teaching school. And there I had to very much be a leader. Right. And I think I would say I'm not sure if it necessarily changed me or if maybe it brought out something that was there. I don't know. But I definitely know that I would say my personality or my – I'm not quite sure what to call it – changed from when I was a teenager to when I was older. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, some of that could just be getting older. So I'm not quite sure where to pin the calls of becoming – whether it's nurture or nature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you think, Andrew? I think it's some of both. Some people have natural um, strengths or tendencies that will tend to push them toward taking the lead or being looked up to as a leader. On the other hand, some of those same qualities, and I'm not sure if I could pull out some specifics here, but I think some of those same qualities, if they are not harnessed by spiritual qualities of leadership will actually cause the person to crash and burn mm. um, as a leader because they're not approaching it in a in a humble or um, in a godly way if that makes sense um put some put some meat on that a little bit like give give me some sort of example but don't don't use me as an example use somebody else <laughs> <laughs> well if someone that someone can be a very confident person and feel like they have a lot of answers, Mm-hmm. And so uh, other people may tend to look up to that person, but with with those qualities, if those qualities are not unchecked, uh, for example, if I'm very confident and think I have all the answers, at some point I'm going to just fall flat on my face because I don't have all the answers and I become overconfident mm. and I will lead myself and the people, anyone who happens to be trailing behind into a disaster kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I can't think of any specifically, but I would say there's a lot of a lot of church movements that have probably mm-hmm. fallen prey to that, where you have one or two or three charismatic people that think they have the answers, right. and then 
they had a blind spot and then that movement falls to pieces. Or someone who has a brilliant business idea and gets some other people all fired up about it and, and perhaps hasn't stopped to think it all through and, and maybe he ends up, the business goes under and it negatively affects the people that like the employees, for example, that he brought in or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, James, you mentioned charisma. Mm-hmm. So is, is charisma required for a leader? I would say charisma is dangerous. <laughs> oh, okay. At least I always think of charisma as dangerous because you can, maybe this is just, just, um, for me, it has somewhat of a bad connotation. But when I think of charisma, I think of like Jim Jones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he's, okay. You don't know who Jim Jones is? No. Do you know who Jim Jones the, is? The Jim Jones that comes to my mind is not the same Jim Jones that you're talking about. Okay. It's actually a salesman that I know of. That's okay. why I laughed immediately when you said the name. <laughs> but Jim Jones, uh, he was leader of a cult. And I believe. Oh, I think I've heard of this. Yes, yeah, and I think. Let me see. Didn't they? They were having issues in the states, and so they went down to South America. Right. And I think it was the Lord was coming back, or mm-hmm. it was kind of an apocalyptic cult. Right. And or maybe the this is the don't drink the Kool Aid cult. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so they took a bunch of poison and mixed it into purple Kool Aid, grape Kool Aid. I think it was grape. And then they drank a bunch of it and. Hundreds of people died. Mm-hmm. So that's where the term don't drink the Kool-Aid came from. <laughs> okay. But how are you defining charisma? Well, I think of charisma as as um, very like able to draw people. Like you just get people all worked up and draw them to you. But it does, there's no guarantee that there's any substance behind all of that drawing power. So it's like an emotional... Yeah, I think of it as like, a person's emotions. That's kind of what I think of it being. Or playing on someone's yeah. emotions. No, I mean, there's certainly there could be charismatic people that are as pure as, as the driven snow and are, <laughs> are drawing people to good things. Are there people like that? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, to me, whenever there's somebody that's very charismatic, uh, my uh, like alarm bells start going off. Well, Doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong. It's like. They're really selling something pretty hard. I need to be very careful here. Yeah. What was Jesus charismatic? I mean, he had thousands of people who came out to listen to him talk. Yeah, but he was Jesus. Well, okay. <laughs> so it's fine in him, but it's not good enough. Well, I think some people, th- I, I, I get the idea that some people feel that charisma is actually a requirement. Like, if I, I can't be a leader because I'm not a charismatic person. Yeah, I wouldn't say that that's the case. No, Isn't it what the prophet Jeremiah thought? And and Moses as well? Moses said he couldn't speak, right? That was his excuse. Did he have a speech impediment? <laughs> I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that he stuttered, does it? No, it doesn't. But it could be why he was scared to speak. What are we ready for now? Um, I got uh, I got lost when I, I, I was stuck thinking about if Jesus is charismatic, and so <laughs> I haven't gotten off of that yet. <clears throat> so, okay, James is saying he thinks charisma is dangerous in a leader. Um, Andrew, you're kind of implying that it's not necessary. So now we're getting into some of the nitty-gritty of what leaders are or should be um okay so charisma isn't necessarily a requirement 
for leadership. You mentioned humility already, Andrew. What is that? What would maybe an opposite of charisma be? That would be something we would want to see in a leader, rather than. And I, I'm not fully persuaded that uh, charisma equals bad leadership. I'm, no, it doesn't. I don't think yeah. we're saying that. But um, maybe there, maybe there are some really broad strokes that we can paint with here about something that could be more substantial. Yeah, the opposite of charisma. I'd never thought about what's the opposite of charisma, so I'm not prepared to say what that is. I mean, where's your thesaurus when you need it? <laughs> <laughs> Look at what the antonym is. Wouldn't it be meek, lowly? Mm. This is. I think these are attributes that fit with with Jesus. Jesus must have had some sort of charisma about him in in order to pull thousands of people in there was something drawing about him it wasn't some supernatural mojo but it was the way that he talked and what he had to say that brought people in but yet there was meekness and lowliness there too well it said that he spoke as one having authority not as the scribes and pharisees but how does that work if he's meek at the same time well i don't know (laughs) (laughs) it it doesn't it it doesn't say but so much but there was definitely something different about him he he spoke with authority now what that meant i don't know well meek the two are not mutually exclusive (laughs) you're just trying to get my goat now (laughs) (laughs) um but i'm still stuck on charisma I, i don't think meek and lowness is the opposite of charisma i think it's just isn't charisma part of understanding how to to play, how to work other people's emotions? And there are some people who are not able to do that. They're, they will get up, let's say, and preach a sermon, and you have to intentionally work really hard to feel drawn or uh, inspired by that. Whereas... Some people were just normal, and so normal, and some people are <laughs> some people are normal, and some people were charismatic. I don't know. Yeah. I have not thought through this, so I'm just... Yeah, this is just the dictionary. I just pulled this up. It said, exercising a compelling charm which inspires devotion in others. Exercising a compelling charm, that reminds me of like uh, the Pied Piper of Hamlin. (laughs) (laughs) Like all these little little children just following along without any... Like that's, uh, that's why I don't like charismatic. And also it could just be... It could just be my Mennonite upbringing that people like the charismatic churches are like we don't do that we're like the ones that sean grew up in (laughs) (laughs) yeah we sit in our benches and we don't say a word the entire service Hmm. i expect jesus was charming um there are pied piper charming people and there are people that are just oh he's charming and you just want to hear what he has to say is that what you say about me (laughs) (laughs) um you can you james you are charismatic when you are talking about um like the periodic table and how it's (laughs) how how it is somehow important to me so i i think probably we all have something in our lives that makes us charismatic but there are some people who seem to be just charismatic. Like that's their main quality. Yeah. Like I think of charismatic, I think of Hitler. 
Ah. Uh. I don't. I think of Joel yeah. Osteen. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> now I need to come up with someone else. I'm not sure who I think of. Okay, and I'm not rec- uh, recommending uh, either following Hitler or Joel Osteen, but um, like, yeah, charisma. I think we have two very different views of what charisma is. One is right and the other is wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to say which oh. is one or the other. All right. Um. I wonder if we shouldn't back up and, and think about your question about that's what focusing I'm on trying leadership. to do. Yeah, yeah focusing that's, that's on leadership fine. and how to be a good leader. Mm-hmm. Okay. We might have to cut some of this out. No, this is all gold. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what was my question again? <laughs> I had a, a, a my one question was: Are essentially our leaders? nurture or nature and you didn't get to answer that question so i want to come back to them yeah i did did you yeah he did i said it was some of both and talked about yeah yeah uh, okay and All then right. i derailed it by bringing up charisma i'm okay. sorry no. <laughs> <laughs> okay so <clears throat> i think i can jump in here we are at about 50 minutes mm-hmm. we have a long ways to go yet man oh we what can zip through the last part fast Look at we don't need to go fast. I can cut out what we need to. <laughs> All right. Um, James, so you have charisma, like I said, <laughs> when, when you're talking about uh, when you're talking about the periodic table. So and I ask you, you know, are you this person that's apt to be a leader because of you know your college projects or becoming a, a um, foreman on your roofing career, whatever? So. We we here I think at least I have heard this idea that one is called to be a leader. Mm-hmm. So is that true? Andrew's saying everyone's a leader, and like from the time they're toddlers on up in various places. I think maybe James, you mentioned calling already once before. So where where does this? How do we get? How do we bring those two ideas together? Called to be a leader, or everyone's a leader? Andrew, maybe I'll let you speak first to that one. Yeah. Hmm. Should I go? Yeah, go ahead. I'm still. I can cut out my Andrew can speak first to it pretty easily. Okay. Yeah. It's an interesting question because I do think what what Andrew and I have said that we are all called to be leaders in some capacity, but it does seem like there are some people that are more called to be leaders. Either they feel a calling or they are called as far as being ordained, Mm. which is. yeah, much more obvious calling. So I think you do have people that are – there are people that are called to greater responsibility and leadership. So I think we all are leaders to some some aspect. Uh, the whole thing of uh, somebody's following you, that little song. Mm-hmm. I think there's some truth in that song. But then there are people that are called to greater responsibility, and you can only have but so many of those people. Mm-hmm. That's where it gets a little bit dicey in our culture because – you're not really supposed to want to be a leader. You're in some in some cases you should almost like if you're not hauled kicking and screaming into leadership, well then you're just being a little too eager. <laughs> when you say our culture, you're talking about Anabaptist culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Andrew? Well, I agree with what James said. Um, ex- thinking about what is a leader, what is leadership, maybe is helpful for us here because. To, to aspire to leadership is to 
aspire to servanthood and to sacrifice for the good of other people. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that that I naturally aspire to. Like so my carnality would wish for like the position of leadership um but not the actual responsibility and the call to service that leadership is. And so I think that part of the reason maybe there would be more people called to leadership or more of those people that we view as, as leaders, strong leaders. Um, maybe there would be more of those if we were more committed to, to servanthood and sacrifice. So um, there's a phrase that I heard. I was listening a number of years back to a talk by Javen Bender, who uh, it's actually on YouTube. His, talk about uh, leading with a servant heart and a phrase that he said in there, which he took from Mark 10 was to lead is to serve and to serve is to sacrifice. And that really hit home to me with where I was then in, in my leadership because I, I wasn't doing that very well. And, and I don't like to sacrifice, (laughs) Um, but there's a direct line between leadership and sacrifice and, and it's service. That's what leadership is. And so, you know, in that talk, Javen told a story about a chicken and a pig who, uh, who wanted to do something really nice for the farmer. And so, uh, the chicken goes to the pig and it's like, Hey, let's do something really, really nice for the farmer. We can provide him with, with a really great breakfast tomorrow morning. I'll supply the egg and you supply the bacon. (laughs) (laughs) And we, and I am the chicken too much, right? I'll give, but uh, the pig, the pig, what he was giving, that's real sacrifice there, right? (laughs) Because he was giving everything. And of course it was the chicken telling him to do that. who wasn't giving up much at all. So when, uh, when Paul says that to aspire to the office of a bishop or an overseer, um, I forget exactly what the words are, but basically he's saying it's a worthy thing to aspire to. We should look at that um, a little differently than I think we naturally tend to. How do we look at it? Well, I think a lot of people would say it's wrong to aspire to be uh, the bishop or whatever, because the bishop is viewed as this high uh, person with a lot of authority in the church, when actually a bishop is called to a, to a far greater level of service and sacrifice than most of the rest of us are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we should be willing to be there, but I'm afraid that I'm, it would be hard for me to be willing to do that. Jesus dealt with this with his disciples. They said they wanted to reign with him. They wanted to to rule with him in, in the kingdom. And Jesus told them, you don't know what you're asking for. And they, right. they said, yeah, we, we do. We want, we want to be sitting on your right and left hands, you know, we want to have that high position of prestige or, or whatever. And Jesus asked them, can you drink this from the same cup that I'm drinking? And they said they would be willing to. And he told them, you're going to have to, but you don't know what you're asking for. And that's what, that's what, okay. If a young man, for example, you know, we're all men here. So that's definitely where our minds go. But if a young man says, I feel called to be a leader. Often what I hear is, I feel called to be a boss in, mm. in the, in the 19 
fifties version of what a boss means, you know, where you just yeah. come out of your office and, and bark at the minions and go back in and expect work to get done. But what we should do, we older gray haired men here, <laughs> when we hear a young man saying he feels called to be a leader is take him to that same idea that Jesus talked about and said, listen, dude, you don't know what you're talking. You don't know what you're asking for. Because if you really desire that great work, like Paul was talking about, you're asking to give everything you have away to other people, sacrifice your life, as it were, for others. And so if you're thinking about, if you're thinking about, should I be a leader? Am I a leader? Can I be a leader? Think about the kind of life that Jesus lived. Um, Was Jesus a leader? Yes. That's a, that's a duh question. I <laughs> but... He didn't act like what what might be a commonly uh, commonly thought of as leadership. Here's a few questions that we could ask ourselves, and also uh, I'm giving these in somewhat in the context of also thinking about Jesus and how he related to people. So, am I ready for leadership? I'm stepping all over my toes here by <laughs> by giving these questions. This is but, going on record. <clears throat> I hope you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the bad part about this. Do other people's failures annoy or challenge me? Do I use people or cultivate people? Do I direct people or develop people? Do I criticize or encourage? Do I shun or seek out the person with a special need or problem? And that list came from um, J. Oswald Sanders' spiritual leadership book, um, but when I look at that list and think about my natural tendencies, I'm not, I'm not living up to that the way I should be yet. I have been in positions of responsibility various times in my life. I guess I currently am still being uh, a pastor, a missionary pastor in Peru. But what I've learned at different times in studying, reading books about leadership and going to older men and asking them what have you learned about leadership is that we have younger people tend to think that leaders need to have the answers Mm -hmm. and from from these answers which are apparently innate in leaders they just direct the the group and what i've found in my experience and i think holds true in leadership in general is the leader is not responsible to have the answers, but the leader is responsible to ask the right questions Mm -hmm. and then to pull the team together, whatever size that is to, to find the answer by asking the right questions and then together come up with some solution that, that we can employ. Would you, would you find that true? James, what do you think about that idea? Yeah. I think that that's definitely true. I mean, for one, if we think we have all the answers, well, we're already have some problems to deal with. I mean, we talked about humility. And if you think you have all the problems, you're probably not the most humble person. (laughs) Yeah, I do think that it's valuable for us to be able to ask questions and ask other people to be uh, to be humble enough to admit when we don't know the answers and go ask somebody else that's maybe closer to the issue or the problem ask them what their opinion is and you might not necessarily always agree with them or go with what they say but you definitely need to hear them out and take that in consideration very seriously 
But yeah, I really like what you said about leaders know how to ask good questions or know what questions to ask. That is, I think that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, I strongly agree with that. I'm still learning how to put it into practice, but it's easy to feel really insecure when people come to you with a question mm. and you don't know the answer because you have this sense that, well, like I'm supposed to come up with an answer. Mm-hmm. What are they going to think if I don't know? If I mm-hmm. say I don't know, it's like, well, they're going to they're going to see right through my facade and, and see me for who I really am <laughs> um, or what I'm not. But that's not the case. People people don't expect leaders to be to know everything or to be perfect. And um, so, yeah, you're right. I very often sit down with my team and just ask questions and we have a discussion together and then we can arrive at a conclusion. It is far stronger. You know, I've gone into meetings before where I was, for example, chairing the management team and uh, we had a particular item for discussion and I sort of knew where I wanted to come out, I thought. I thought I knew what the right answer was. But I've tried to learn to go into those discussions and keep my mouth shut and ask questions. And and I can't tell you how many times we've had that discussion and I come away. We didn't come up with the answer that I thought we were going to mm-hmm. or the answer that I thought was right. But if if I'm the guy with the answers and I stand, I'm, if I'm too proud to admit that other people have a different perspective and it's a good one, um, it, so much is lost by that. And that, that art of listening it really takes some cultivation. I think about just a just a simple conversation between two people. James and I are talking. Sometimes we think that, or, you know, I could think when James is talking, that is my time for me to go ahead and gather my ideas so I know what I want to say. And when he's finished saying whatever he's saying, then I can go ahead and express my thought. That's not really listening. And the same holds true in a, in a leadership, like when you're when you're leading a team. If you're coming, like you said, sometimes to your team and you already know what the answer is, then it can be difficult to actually hear good good ideas from them because you have something laid out. I'm not saying just come without <laughs> having done any any background work, but it does take a special sort of of skill. You have to cultivate a certain skill of listening where you're actually taking stuff in and not just letting it wash over you until you get to present your idea. We're running a little bit, we're running a little bit long on our recording and I don't know if we're going to bore people with this topic. So we're going to going to try to gain some time here. What do you all think about doing a lightning round of, of qualities or characteristics of leaders? And I don't know if we should do what are, some bad characteristics or some characteristics of bad leaders and then <laughs> and then end with some characteristics of good leaders and and go back and forth like that or if you if you all have something you want to do differently that sounds good to me do you have some characteristics lined up there andrew that you can spit out or some off the top of your head so i'm thinking <laughs> what i'm thinking here is like we can say what are some characteristics that characteristics that we don't want to see in leadership and say, um, you know, boom, uh, pride, charisma, charisma. And then just like 10 words about why that's a bad thing without us necessarily commenting, unless we have to really correct the other person, Yeah, go around with several and then come back with some good ones. Man, I have a lot more stuff here. This is way too huge of a topic. <laughs> well, I want to get this middle section out before we come back. 
to wrapping up the episode, which how are you? Which is what's wrapping up? Well, we have where we have the outline is what are some common mistakes leaders make, but I think where we actually want to wrap up is that middle question, which is how can we become better leaders? Mm-hmm. I think that's actually probably will feel better. Yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay. Does that work with what you've got? Um, I can try. Man, what how much it? are you scrolling? <laughs> I was scrolling up and down. Oh, what okay. is it? No, tell, okay. Before we do that, maybe um, tell me if some. Are there any? Is there any one or two thoughts that you really wish that we could talk about? Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually wish to talk about. Okay, I'm going to ask and, about. I'm going to ask you about your book specifically, if that is helpful. Well, it ties into what I was saying about sacrifice or serving. Okay, um, so. But yeah, I can go ahead. Put it in There's that, and then anything else? Um, <laughs> let's see. I don't know. No, no, I can just skip over a bunch. I think of stuff. I've already come up with a title. Okay. <laughs> Are you a leader? <laughs> I don't know. It's maybe a little bland, but all right. What I'm going to say is, go ahead and jump in, Andrew, here, and say, um, back to sacrifice, blah blah blah. I have this book, etc. And then I'm going to come back and give us another lead into a lightning round. And then we can start uh, going into a lightning round before we come back to a wrap up. And, but the lightning round was qualities that we don't want or that we do want that we don't want. Well, I, want, I have mostly qualities that we do want and, and, uh, we can do ones that we do want. Yeah. We can just end with that. Mm-hmm. We've already talked about stuff that we don't like. Sure. All right. Go okay. ahead then. <laughs> All right. Where was I? There's five minutes I can cut out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, back to what I was saying earlier about sacrifice. A book that I read three years ago, maybe, um, The Way of the Shepherd by Kevin Lehman and Bill Pentak. It talks in here about, well, it's a little bit of a cheesy book, actually. I wasn't sure if I liked it first when I read it. <laughs> but, but there are some really good principles in it. And one is the idea about someone has to pay for your leadership and that ties in with the idea of sacrifice. So who's going to pay for it? If you think about a shepherd, if the shepherd kick, kicks back on his heels and uh, is lazy or whatever, he'll have sheep that are weak, uh, that don't get sheared properly. Their hooves don't get taken care of. They get diseased. They don't have good water. They don't have good food And your herd or your flock, whatever you want to call it, uh, is very soon paying the price for, for that shepherd's lack of leadership. On the other hand, if you have a leader, a shepherd, who is very disciplined and really cares about his sheep and puts himself into taking care of them, you have a flock that prospers. And and uh, and this book talks about how that carries over into other kinds of other types or situations where we lead. Basically, leadership requires that we take care of people and if I'm not willing to pay that price, the people suffer. And that can happen in a bunch of different ways. Um, and so Jesus talked about, he's the good shepherd, and he talked about how that is different from a hireling, the different response that a shepherd will have versus a hireling. So a shepherd steps in and is even willing to put himself into danger to take care of the sheep, whereas a hireling will run off when the wolf shows up. Why? Why might we act as a hireling? One of the reasons is because we don't, if we don't place 
high value on the people that we care for. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I don't, if I don't care about my family, for example, and um, if I'm not really concerned about their spiritual welfare, their eternal destiny, or even just things like, do they have food and clothes? If I'm a lazy dad, my children will suffer and will pay the price for a long time, maybe forever. Mm-hmm. And um, same is true organizationally. If I'm lazy and don't do my job, people will suffer. They'll be frustrated. Um, there's a lot of different things that could happen, say, for example, in a business or even in the church. And so someone pays, the concept that someone pays for your leadership, and if you are a real leader, you will pay for it yourself and not make your people pay for it. That's mm-hmm. a powerful concept to me, um, and one that I'm still working on on living out the way I should. The way you explain that, um, it seems like that if, if you pay the price, there is not as much cost otherwise. In other words... It doesn't take as much um, to take care of your people. It doesn't take as much time and energy as it would if you let things go to pot and take it easy on yourself. Then there's there's much more damage, much more cost than if you just would have stepped up in the first place. Mm-hmm. And the cost is spread out over many, many people. Um, whereas if I'm willing to take that burden and that cost on myself, then in turn it can bless many, many people. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, again, Jesus is a perfect example of this where he suffered and he gave his life and that provides that has provided eternal life for many, many millions of people. And that was because of one man's one man's sacrifice. So we're not gonna have that kind of effect, and yet we're called to walk in Jesus' steps as that kind of leader. The Way of the Shepherd by Kevin Lehman. So this is the same Dr. Kevin Lehman that wrote the book, The Birth Order, that I was talking about earlier in the podcast. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Okay, toward we're getting toward the end of our topic here. Before we, uh, before we close out, I'm wanting to try to do a lightning round of characteristics of good leaders. And so we're just going to, I think we're just going to go around the table here and give a characteristic and say something about it if you want to and we can make it as short as lo- or long as we need to and throw out mm, a dozen or a couple of dozen maybe in a couple of minutes james get us going with one i think one good characteristic of a leader would be willing to learn mm-hmm. and reason being kind of what i said earlier that we have to know we don't know everything. And so we need to be willing to learn from others. Uh, characteristics that I believe is important uh, is wisdom. And Proverbs said the, says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when I think about the fear of the Lord, I think about understanding who God is, understanding who I am, and what is my place in relation to him and to other people. And if I have that kind of perspective, that kind of wisdom, it will make a huge difference in the way that I lead. I mentioned this be- this one before in the podcast already, but I'm going to put it in here again. Asking questions is a quality of a good leader because you can, when someone comes to you with a problem, a lot of times they, they might say, uh, you know, I am 
I feel this way or I'm stressed out about this thing or we have this problem and it can be easy to just say, here's a solution. But if you start asking questions and asking questions and asking questions, getting drilling down into the problem, you could find that the actual problem is something totally different than what they came to you with. And then you can really work from from the root of the issue and have a much better solution that way to getting into the heart of your people. I would say another one would be tact, um, being very tactful when you speak to people. Um, if you're a leader, you're probably going to have to have some difficult conversations with people and you need to tell them some hard truth about the way that they've been acting or what they've been doing, but you need to be able to say it in a kind way that doesn't cause them to immediately throw up their defenses and just go frigid. You need to be able to give them truth in a very kind, loving way. Communicating is another important one. Sometimes I get the feeling that leaders think that other people can read their mind. In fact, mm-hmm. I've probably been guilty of acting that way myself. <laughs> but it is I have found it extremely frustrating when working with other leaders when they don't communicate and they don't um, let me know what's happening or what the issues are. And so something that I think is important and I'm trying to work on is just keeping everybody in the loop. Not not just about yeah, just about what's happening, about um, issues that are coming up, things that we need to talk about, even just letting people know what I'm thinking because people can't read my mind. And if I act like they can, they'll get frustrated. Compassion is another good attribute of a leader. When I think about the sort of compassion that we have, I often think about Jesus when he looked out over Jerusalem and he was moved to, to, he was weeping because of his compassion. And in working with people, particularly people who think differently than you do or do something different, come to some conclusion differently than you would have, it's easy for me, but I think it's easy for people in general to assume that that person either just wasn't thinking or they were malicious in some way or some other bad intention that they have. But if we are compassionate and realize this is just a person like I am, and most people generally are doing the best they can to have a good life, then it does make some of that tension go away. Yeah. You kind of took the one that I was going to do, (laughs) but I think I've got another one here. Um, Try to try to remember that there's, always two sides to a story. Oftentimes, if you're leading, somebody will come to you with a complaint or um, concern about somebody else that you're maybe leading, and you need to go, instead of spreading that around, you need to go maybe talk to that person that that they were talking about and see what their side of the story is. That maybe maybe there was... uh, Maybe the first person that came to you, they um, weren't telling you everything that was going on or they didn't see things quite as clearly as they could have. So, yeah, just kind of uh, to give people the benefit of the doubt, So, which is somewhat what Sean said. Mentoring and training other people are things that leaders, is something that leaders need to do. And it's easy. This is one of the things that I find easy to be lazy about. Thinking about my children, for example, that my children have so much to learn and I'm in 
I'm, I'm assigned by God, actually, to teach them. I can save them a tremendous amount of hard knocks if I can uh, line upon line and precept upon precept, mentor them and train them in the right ways. Planning is something that every leader needs to be good at. You talked about, Andrew, that one of the characteristics or one of the, yeah, one of the attributes of leadership is thinking far down the road, but that takes time and effort to sit down and try to figure out what is going on. And if you don't schedule that, it's not going to happen and you're going to end up crashing and burning like we mentioned already. Yeah. And this is here again, this is somewhat building off what Sean just said, but I think a vision for the future needs to have um, very much looking as far out as possible. Obviously, we can't predict the future, but we can sometimes see where trends are going. And not just that, we need to maybe talk to other people that have been on a similar journey. Uh, for instance, church leadership, there's lots of, there are a lot of examples of where decisions have gone well and decisions have not gone well. And that's the same in business. And so have a vision for where the business is going, where the church is going, where your family should go, depending on what type of leadership you're called to. And then, like Sean said, plan to to see how to make that mm -hmm. actually become a reality. Mm -hmm. Making decisions. If you're uh, an organizational leader, especially with multiple uh, layers of other leaders reporting to you, you have to be okay with the fact that by the time a problem gets to your desk, it's not an easy problem. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. I remember feeling very frustrated when I first started as a general manager at Christian Light. I felt like I would just, it's like, if I could just get past this problem, then it would be great. And then, <laughs> then there's another one that pops up. <laughs> Finally, um, I just had to learn to be okay that that's my job and. I have to be okay to make decisions, and that's just the way it is. And I can't – trying to get out of that is just abdicating responsibility. So don't chafe against making decisions. That's what you're that's what you're called to do. I'm not quite sure how to say this one. I think it's partly humility is what I'm wanting to get at, but humility is kind of a broad characteristic. But what, what I specifically want to focus on is being willing, being willing to acknowledge – when you're wrong, which ties directly to humility, but leaders do make mistakes. They make the wrong decisions mm -hmm. or they don't listen well, or they are not tactful or whatever. And sometimes we can, again, I forget which, maybe both of you mentioned this thing of feeling like I have to present a certain persona to the people that I'm leading. And if they see a crack in that, then this is all going to fall apart but it does tremendous good for your for yourself, but also for your team if you're willing to say, hey, I was wrong, I said that wrong, I did that wrong, will you forgive me? What I'm getting ready to say, I'm not sure if y'all will agree with or not. <laughs> we'll cut it out of the podcast if we don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, but be okay with people not liking you. Being a leader, you have to make decisions that some people don't like, even if they're the right decisions. Now, hopefully, if it's the wrong decision, like Sean said, you'll admit that you were wrong, ask for forgiveness, and, and try to move past that. But sometimes you'll make the right decision, 
other people will even agree with you that it's the right decision, but there's some people that are not going to like the decision you made. And because of that, are not going to like you. And it's really easy to take that personally. When I was teaching, especially the first couple of years that I taught, and I'm sure most, te- uh, most people that have taught have experienced this, you want the students to like you. And it's, it was easy for me to soften decisions that I would make or calling out students because I didn't want the students to not like me. Um, but as I got older, I started just making the decisions and I finally got to the point where I was just okay. A, a certain student didn't like that I had given them a zero on a paper because they turned it in way late or they had plagiarized and they got a zero. Um, they were not happy. Their parents are not happy, <laughs> but, um, uh, I knew that I'd made the right decision and I just, I still didn't like the feeling Mm. of people not liking me, but I kind of made peace with it. Sometimes, even if you do things perfectly, the mob will rise up and say, crucify him, crucify him. (laughs) So no, that's easy to agree with. Mm -hmm. Please don't compare me to Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope I would, I want to compare you to Jesus rather than some other options. Well, that's true. That's true. But definitely... Not not in the same league. <laughs> Delegation. This is related to... I, I wanted to bring... They relate to what I said about decisions. So you have to be okay with making decisions. On the other hand, you shouldn't provide a crutch uh, for people who should be dealing with their own problem or, or their own responsibility. So empower other people to make decisions. Don't take them all on yourself. Um, if you expect a lot of other people, usually they will actually deliver on that. Occasionally they will make mistakes, but hey, um, we do too. So it's a way to it's a way to train, and it's also a way to avoid uh, becoming a dictator. We need integrity. We need to be genuine, real all the time. Don't be someone in secret when your office door is closed. And another person, when Bob walks through the door, and a different person, when Jane walks through the door, you have to be consistent and true in order to uh, to be an effective leader. I think you need to, uh, to pardon the idiom, uh, grab the bull by the horns. In other words, don't don't um, stay away from problems and from strife as long as possible usually they're not going to solve themselves. You need to get in there and do what you can to try to take care of the issue. I had a couple, I had two points here that related. Uh, one, it's kind of actually related to what James says. One is don't let, don't let problems fester. The other one is don't be hasty. <laughs> um, and I have done both. I remember a number of years back, I asked the management team to give me some critique or feedback and one of the things was that I was too hasty. And so there's a healthy balance between there's a problem, let's not let it fester and create more problems, and just hastily uh, jumping in and being like, I'm going to take care of this problem now. And actually, that can create issues too. And so it, it can depend on the situation, and we need wisdom to know uh, which approach the situation calls for. But Don't let things fester and don't be hasty. Leaders should be readers. We already said that we don't 
need to have all the answers. The, the answers don't come just from us. But knowing that we don't have the, all the answers, um, we can get a lot of this from our team, and we should. But there have been people who have been leading for generations before us. There's lots of good instruction out there. Not all of it is excellent, so you have to be a um, you have to be a good reader. But study, learn, and uh, and then apply it. What 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 you read. I'm running out of things. <laughs> um, I don't think I have anything else. I'm going to pass this over to. Should I give more or? You satisfied to call it good enough? How many more do you have? Uh, I could come up with several more. I mean, they start overlapping. Mm-hmm. Where we go. I could. Uh, well, I'm satisfied to call it good enough. You have another one you want to add? No, not necessarily. A lot of the. I mean, I had some other things, but they're all kind of related to things that were already said. So. Well, Andrew, we don't have to keep going with this list forever because there are so many good characteristics that we ought to have but are there any final thoughts that you want to throw in there that you've learned about leadership or something that you would really don't want us to miss that you have prepared for this talk uh one thing that i wrote down was don't focus all your energy on one leadership role so i think i've fallen prey to doing that to that error where I'm at work. I have a significant leadership role there, and and so I put a lot of energy and thought into that. And then at home, it kind of can be, well, it's just floating along, and whatever happens happens. And mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not, I'm not nearly the level of intentionality at home as I as I would have at work. And so it can be a helpful question, and maybe this is a whole other uh, podcast, but. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if you let it work the way that you lead at home, or let's say if you let it at school or wherever it might be in the church, if you if you led there the way that you lead at home, would would you thrive and would your people thrive? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so God calls us to responsibility and faithfulness. It doesn't matter uh, where we are. So I would make a plea to myself and to other people, those of you that are listening. Don't focus all your energy on one leadership role because if you're a a man in probably our stage of life, uh, there's multiple places where you should be focused, and um, focusing on one will lead to will be to the detriment of the others. Should we stop with that? I think that sounds like a good stopping point. Okay. That should wrap it up for this time. I've been happy to see the download numbers going up in the past week or so. It looks like you all have found us again. If you aren't a patron but would like some way to help support the podcast, the best way is to share the podcast with someone new. We'd be delighted to have some new listeners. Thank you again for your emails. We enjoy hearing from you. Sometimes we get some fun emails like this one from Hannah. Hey y'all. Apparently she's from the South also. Hey y'all, great job on the podcast. I always like listening to you talk on different subjects and I wouldn't complain if there were more episodes. Well, lucky for you, Hannah, we do have some more episodes. Thank you for being one of our patrons. But I understand that it's a lot of work. This episode was challenging. She's talking about the episode where we were going over the Digital Declutter by Cal Newport. My husband jokingly said that maybe you all should just chill and embrace the whole technology situation. Honestly, though, it created some good discussion between us, so thanks. 
We'll be waiting to hear how the declutter goes for you before we dip our toes in those waters. Blessings. Thanks for that email, Hannah. The digital declutter is still ongoing for us. James, how do you think that's going for you? Still hanging in there? <laughs> uh, mostly some regression. <laughs> um, yeah, I just just recently I deleted some apps back off my phone and my tablet that I'd put back on for a little bit. So it's, uh, I think in this modern age, it's always going to be continual adjustments um, short of just totally, you know, just going to the Amish and getting rid of all, <laughs> getting rid of all smartphones and internet. But uh, yeah, I think it was it was good. It's something that I actually plan to do again sometime. As far as uh, taking a fast from certain technologies, I think it was it was it was a good month, and it's something that I want to continue. I've really had to wrestle with staying on top of my devices since I've been in the states for this furlough trip. I think maybe that's partly due to being less disciplined in my schedule overall but yeah James hit the nail on the head it's one of those things that I think as long as we're working uh, with these devices we're going to have to stay on top of them for how much time they're taking out of our lives Andrew have you ever done anything like a, a digital declutter or what's your relationship with digital devices or do we need to have another episode just on that <laughs> What's my relationship with them? I use them all the time. <laughs> I sit at a computer at work, and I'm sitting in front of a computer right now, and I use my phone a lot. Actually, as a result of listening to you all, I had done something similar to this before, but I actually deleted a couple of apps off my phone that I tend to waste time on. <clears throat> Even now, occasionally, I will I will catch myself, like I might be standing at home um, wondering what to do, and I'll pop my phone out. And uh, it's like, oh, I don't have anything to waste time on here. And so I'll put it back in. <laughs> I'll put it back in my phone pouch and go into something else. So it's been good. Thanks for the encouragement. James and I are headed over to record our patron only podcast for what it's worth now. This week we will be having Andrew share a topic for us. Andrew is going to tell us how we can know we're in the center of God's will. You can find that at patreon.com slash looking over life. Again, if you have any feedback or questions, or if you have an idea for a topic we should discuss, send us an email at lookingoverlife at gmail.com. All right. See you later. Adios. Ciao. <laughs> oh, man. Yep. It just tacked right on the end. Okay. Um, It's recording now? Yep. All right. Just to exactly what you did when we were finished recording, say... Hey, you didn't let me ask. You didn't ask me for recommendations, and then I will, and then you can. Hey, you didn't. Uh, you forgot to ask me for my book recommendations. <laughs> okay, well, I really wanted to hear them, so let's go ahead and hear what you what you brought along. I mentioned two of these already. One is by J. Oswald Sanders. Uh, it's called "Spiritual Leadership: Principles of Excellence for Every Believer." I think it's just a solid book about leadership, and it's very. It's based on the Bible. And then the other one I mentioned already was The Way of the Shepherd, Seven Secrets to Managing Productive People by Kevin Lehman and Bill Pentak. Um, it's story, mostly a, mostly it's a story, which is why I said it, it can be a little bit, I thought it was a little bit cheesy, but the principles are good. And then another book that I like, I've actually worked through with a couple of supervisors that I've worked with, um, just had them read, we would each read a chapter out of it in a week or a couple of weeks, and then we would sit down and chat about it, about what we learned or how we could apply that. 
It's called uh, The Top 10 Mistakes Leaders Makes. Leaders Make. Hans Finzel. Or Hans. I don't know how you say his name. <laughs> Just a, it's a good book by a, uh, I think he's a Protestant of some kind. And then uh, another couple things that I'd like to recommend if you're thinking about leadership. Read read the Gospels, the stories of Jesus. Read the book of Nehemiah. And read Paul's letters to uh, church leaders. And read Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Fruit of the Spirit. And think about how to apply that in your, uh, wherever you're a leader. And then one other book that uh, is called The Effective Manager, Mark Horstman. So it's about managing, uh, which we didn't get into that at all. Is managing and leading the same thing? Mm -hmm. And we could have a discussion about that. But it's a very practical book of just things that you can do if you're in in a management position, how to relate to people, systems to put into place that will help you accomplish or help you have good relationships and accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. And then uh, I mentioned Javen Bender that I had listened to a talk by him on YouTube a couple years back. I actually didn't know Javen at that time, but uh, I've since met him, got to know him a little bit. He's a he's a good brother, and uh, that talk is called "Leading with a Servant Heart." It would be worth your time to listen to. I actually came with a couple of recommendations myself, and forgot to mention them earlier. I'm currently reading a book by John C. Maxwell called Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. And I picked up that book because it resonates with some truths that uh, that I found in my own leadership journey. There is a lot of good in the book. And so I think I would recommend it to someone who was looking at how to improve their leadership. But John C. Maxwell um, likes to name drop. And he likes to talk about what a humble and excellent leader he is himself. And so that can be a bit distasteful. But if you can get past those two things, you can find a lot of good in the book. Patrick Lencioni wrote a number of books that relate to leadership and teamwork. And I would recommend uh, basically his whole list of books. But a favorite of mine is uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It was really helpful to me when I was having to make some or having to learn some some valuable lessons in leading a team. James, I did not warn you that we were going to give recommendations. Do you have any recommendations you want to throw in yet? Yes, I do. We talked a little bit about, uh, Andrew especially talked about how that leading costs something. And there are a lot of leaders that end up being just completely worn out and stressed out, burned out to where they they have to step down due to just overwork and too much stress um, to preserve themselves, their health, their families. Recently, somebody um, recommended this book to me, and it's called Reset, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture by David Murray. It's fairly short, uh, pretty simple, easy to read, And I highly recommend it. Anybody who sees leadership in their future or somebody who is dealing with some of the stresses that come with leadership and feeling burnout, I highly recommend that book. 